want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of self-indulgence. I want to hear it. I want to read it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shelf Indulgence. It's myself, Jim and Wendy, and we are back for this week's episode with the conclusion of The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley. Um, we'll also be bringing a couple of our regular segments of What's Caught My Eye This Week and Poetry Corner. So, um, Poetry Corner, Wendy. Yes, I've bought today my favourite Spike Milligan poem. Oh, fantastic. We love this. Um, so I thought um, it's a bit, you know, we've had Blue, we've had Blue Monday this week, haven't we? And um, Spike Milligan always puts a smile on your face. Um, and so uh, I thought I'd share with our listeners um, his poem, Smiley, Smiling is Infectious. So smiling is infectious. You catch it like the flu. When someone smiled at me today, I'm smile. I started smiling too. I passed around the corner and saw and saw and someone saw my grin. When he smiled, I realised I'd passed it on to him. I thought about that smile and then I realised it's worth. A single smile, just like mine, could travel round the earth. So if you feel a smile begin, don't leave it undetected. Let's start an epidemic quick and get the world infected. <laughs> I love that poem. I absolutely love that poem. I thought it was so apt because everybody's got a bit of the after Christmas and after New Year blues, haven't they? So and I, think I thought that would be a good one to share. He was such a wise man, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think often underrated and underappreciated and now forgotten. I think that that is the danger. He was so, um, he was avant-garde in his day, wasn't he? Yeah. And without him, we wouldn't have the likes of, of things like, you know, um, Monty Python wouldn't have would never have got a foothold had it not have been for him. I would argue some of the humour in Terry Pratchett was influenced by Spike Milligan. You can see there's sort of the, there are themes there, aren't there? Um, and and because of his struggles with mental health, he's probably far better understood now than he ever was when he was alive. Yeah. So you know, he's um, I think he's one of those people that was genuine. He lived before his time, really. I mean, I won't quote him because uh, I wouldn't want to say anything inappropriate on the airwaves, but I will never, never to my dying day forget his thank you um, speech at the Lifetime Awards from the BAFTA. Was it not BAFTA? Was it BAFTAs or was it the Comedy Awards? It was the, it was the BAFTAs and it was, um, and, and um, Evan, you know, helping. <laughs> Now Jonathan Ross was the one that was trying to keep it all together. And he just, he ran rings around him, didn't yeah. he? And the Now King wrote his, uh, he he did a video message. Yeah, yeah. He's a big fan of Spikes. Um, video message saying, you know, well done and congratulations. And uh, Spikes said, groveling little, and I won't, I won't complete the sentence. Um, he absolutely did. And... 
absolutely wonderful man. Um, you know, you know, you know about his tombstone, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Told you I was ill. Told you I was ill. <laughs> um, and for such a man to still be bringing smiles to people to this day, um, if you want to wear a spike Milligan, go and research a bit. Oh, absolutely, and particularly his children's stuff. His children's oh. stuff was, is just magical, absolutely magical. magical. A, a true once in a lifetime character, Spike. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Wendy. As you know, it's it, it is all, it not not often enough. Sometimes our minds turn back to those characters that are now gone, mm. and you know, to be reminded of something quite as brilliant as Spike, and also that poem. I love that poem. And me, and me. That's we could good. all do with infecting the world with a smile, couldn't we? Well, couldn't we just? Um, the, the sort of pandemic we need. Okay, so that's that's Poetry Corner for this week. So um, the hunting party, Lucy Foley. Now, uh, confession time from me. I haven't concluded the book because uh, I've not been particularly well this week, so I've not been able to read as much as normally would. Um, but we are going to finish the review of the book this week, and I'm going to interview Wendy about the second half, which she's mm. read in, com- in completion. I've read part of the second half, but I'm going to, uh, we're going to talk about that now, so we'll get on with that. So, Wendy, when we finished talking about the hunting party last week, at the end of the first half of the book, we were both concerned that there were a lot of loose ends for Lucy's yes. wrap-up. So uh, now as I started to read the second half, I felt the loose ends were increasing in number, not starting to get wrapped up. Yeah. And, I, and I, I started to come to the conclusion of she's not going to be able to do this. There are no, she's, We're in the second half of the book and more loose ends are appearing. Another character appears. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, how is this going to get concluded? She's not going to be able to pull it off. So how did she do? Um, she did pull it off, and and it does come to a satisfactory conclusion. Um, but it felt, because of the number of loose ends, it felt a bit contrived to me, um, in that conveniently people were in a particular place at a particular time, um and and she was able to do that because of the style that she writes in so that flashback to um a point in in recent history to describe a conversation or a situation that had been observed or whatever so she was able to pull it all all together um but as i say for me it felt a bit forced i suppose um and it didn't it didn't feel as though it came to a natural conclusion given the time scale that was left really yeah i mean from from the bit i read i i felt you know the the the, the number of loose ends like i say was increasing and partly because the way that she writes for me is and she, i think she does it very well in that she reveals bit by bit more and more about each of her characters yeah. Yeah. more of their, their their secret backgrounds, the skeletons in their closets. Yeah. Um, but all of these extra skeletons, all these more unknown things we're now finding out, just become more possible reasons to be the murderer. 
Yeah. I mean, she's she's a very, I think she's a master of line, a red herring, without a doubt. And she does that incredibly well. But if you think about the number of characters in this book and therefore the, the possible number of plot lines, um, she, she, I personally feel um, that the book starts a little bit slowly for me. And as a result of that, the second half is absolutely crammed with stuff. And uh, it would have felt a bit more comfortable for me if she'd have got into the mind body of some of the stories and some of the characters earlier on in the book, um, and it wouldn't have felt quite so compacted in the second half for me. But um, but it is a decent story. I think she's written some cracking characters. Um, my my, I think my favourite characters actually end up um, as nothing to do with the hunting party. Um, my favourite characters end up being Doug and Heather. Without a doubt, for me, yeah. Doug and Heather, very quickly, these are my favourite characters, and the further we got in and the more we learned about them, the more I like them. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with you. Now, there's a key moment at about halfway when we get Heather discovering the body. Yeah. Um, well, Doug discovers it and takes Heather to see it. And that's a key point where we start revealing, or Lucy starts revealing, some of Heather's background and some of Doug's background. Mm. How did you feel about those elements of Doug and Heather? Um, I I think that they made sense. So so using their experiences, life experiences. Um, they were in the right place at the right time in terms of the story. So I think that um, their experiences worked particularly well. I think that um, they were, certainly Doug was treated in the storyline as um, a potential suspect as well. Um, and I thought it was particularly good the way his story was revealed between him and Heather. Um, and that added a new level of tension because she was then torn between really liking him and wanting to believe in his innocence and wanting to support his innocence. Um, when actually even Doug at that stage wasn't sure. No. So um, so I thought that that was probably um, the most cleverly written bit of it. I, I really liked that the tension between them and this sort of vying because there's a there's definitely a um a connection between them there's a chemical attraction yeah. between them um but this incident is so big and so important uh, and what's at stake is so important um actually that they're having to put that to one side um as best they're able and, and I did I I loved it I thought it was a really quite a complex but a really interesting relationship between those two and then as they work together to try and solve the solve the problem really they are almost wasted in the fact that they are isolated in this location in this story mm, mm. if if i was going to pick up two characters to take and do a sequel it would be Doug and Heather. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd agree because with of, that. 
these characters life experiences and where they are in their own journeys as characters i don't think you could pick them up out of the lock Corrin estate no they they no. definitely live there yeah i i thought it was a i thought it was really really good and and i thought um it was a it was a good foil because i I'd, I'd um guessed the victim so i knew by the by the middle of the book I knew who the victim was going to be because at this, that stage we knew that there was a victim because we yeah. knew that there was a body, but you don't. Um, but I guessed that right, so I was able to to say that. Um, and and what comes in the second half is actually the reason why she's the victim. Um, oh, are we going to reveal to our audience who the victim is? Do we think is that um, way? If we are, we're going to have to do spoilers, aren't we? It's quite easy to do spoilers, but um, yeah, I mean, there is there is a female victim, um, and as you get as you go in through the book, um, why she is the victim becomes very clear, and uh, and it's it really isn't that much of a surprise as you read through the book. No, it becomes very clear, style. and also the way that she's written. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, and again, this is quite clever writing, that she's not really a very nice character, and, and, and I think that she's quite a shallow character. But what is really interesting to me is that she is the one wronged. Yeah. And so so actually, you should feel sympathy for her, but I really struggled. <laughs> I really struggled to feel not, sympathetic She's not a particularly nice person. Um the, her shallowness and her the way she treats her friends. Yes, yeah. Um, her materialism. Yep. You know, it's it's all, and also the the people, the friendship circle in this story. And I think this is one of the key things about this story, for my opinion. And, and you obviously agree or disagree, Wendy, but. It's that thing of those old friends, the ones that we still make a habit of seeing once a year, perhaps, like we do in the hunting party. There is actually big gaps in knowledge about these people. We yeah. might know them very well from a long time ago, but there's lots of things that have happened since. And in this circle of friends... You know, obviously the circle of friends has expanded as other characters have been added to that circle as people have married and coupled off. But also, there are secrets from their past within the circle that not everyone's aware of. Yes, yeah. And I think that's true of any circle of friends. When you look at a circle of friends, there are always going to be... Well, actually, I know such as about so and so, but not everyone knows that. And mm-hmm. there's always, and in a way, the character that ends up the victim is almost the keystone to that circle of friends, isn't she? Mm. She is, yeah, uh, um, but n- but not necessarily in a positive way. No. Um, I, I think for me, what this book illustrates is the why different people define the word friend. Yes. So for me, I think there is, we have, um, we have some friends 
who we've known for years and years and years, for, for decades. Um, and that, Hello. those friendships are... Please leave your message after the tone. Non-judgmental in that. Um, they are accepting of who you are and what you do. In your call, please hang up. You okay, Jim? Yes, yeah, sorry, we're having a technical difficulty at this end. Carry on. Okay. So, um, so yeah, uh, some friendships are, um, they are just non-judgmental. So they are, you are friends, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you're doing, who you're with, you're accepted for who you are, unconditionally. Um, but this this isn't that sort of relationship and and the way these people are i would say that they're not friends just simply because of the length of the friendship i would say they're more acquaintances because they don't really know each other in terms of really deep down they don't know who those people are um they make huge assumptions about them and huge assumptions about the value of that friendship and how that friendship works. And what you see in this story, I think, is an unravelling of that. So this is the this is the holiday break, the, the new year that they're going to spend together. This is the one that, that actually um, starts to see all of that crumble because so many things are happening in the party. People have moved on, got to a particular stage in their life. Um, that they are changing, their responses are changing. What they need from friendships and relationships are changing. And so um, nothing is what it first appears to be. Um, and to me, that isn't a, that's, that's more of an acquaintanceship. It's not a friendship. So I've got friends who really, it doesn't matter what I did. I mean, and I mean anything that I did there would still be an understanding and a want to support me. Even if I was wrong, that they, they would want to be there and they would want to support me. This always felt to me as though there was always currency at the bottom of the relationships. So if people were getting what they wanted out of them, they were okay. But the moment that they didn't, they could turn on a sixpence. Do you know what I mean? Entirely. And I think, in a way, it's a little bit like, you know that... Um analogy of snow where the Eskimos don't have one word for snow. Yeah, yeah. They, they know that many different types of snow, got a different word for every type of snow. Yeah. And I, I've often said that the thing with um, love is that we use the word love as a, in English as a very blanket word. It mm. covers a multitude of different types of love. Mm. Uh, and similarly, I think you've struck on the same thing here in that actually we use the word friend for an awful lot of different types of friend. Mm. And there are different levels of closeness, different levels of deepness to friendship. And, yeah, some of these friends in this circle, I would say are more habitual friends. Yeah, yeah. They're there because of the history, not because of the strength of the relationship. Yeah, certainly. I know for for a while in my own life, I had a habit similar to this actually that every 
day after Boxing Day, um, myself and a group of friends who were friends at school, we were all back in town for Christmas, so we'd all meet up. And we'd do that every year. And then after so many years, you know, we, we'd grown apart. Mm. It was nice to catch up, but we really were becoming different people and didn't have necessarily so much in common anymore. Yeah. Um, so in a similar way to what's happening in this circle, in this book, but obviously at a much more drastic scale. Yeah, because in it, what, what it becomes really clear to me is within because the, there are lots of um, th- there are lots of sort of capsule friendships as well. It's not just the bigger group; the bigger group all all share a history and all share that friendship. But the relationship between individuals within that group is quite different to each other. Yeah, um, and some of it's based on belonging, and some of it's based on power, and some of it's based on. Um, uh, on a, uh, physical attraction and and some of it is based on um necessity some of it's very unpleasant as well yeah it is it absolutely is um, um and so, um, and that's for me that's what where i would question the word you know the friendship that they're all desperate to try and protect and stuff i was um, very uncomfortable by um the character mark mm Mm. Didn't like him at all. Mm. And uh, and again, for me, he was probably he was probably one of those ends that wasn't sufficiently tied up for me. Um, because I think that there was more the story led you to believe there was more behind his character than actually came out in the end. Yes, and there was um, one incident early on where I actually at a point where we didn't know yet who the victim was, um, there was something that happened earlier on where I thought, to myself, well, actually, I quite appease the victim. Yeah. You can do with some comeuppance. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, as, as a book in on the whole, how would you recommend this or would you recommend this or...? It's a, I would definitely say if you're a mystery reader and if you like the locked room sort of uh, murder mystery um then this will it will tick a lot of your boxes um the locked room is actually a scottish estate so so geographically it's a much bigger area than the sort of stately room stately home uh, locked room mystery that you normally get um but nevertheless it's got all of those elements you know you're completely isolated you're cut off because of the weather um the terrain is very difficult um there's enough room in this uh story for people to not be where they say they're going to be and for alibis to be questionable and all that sort of stuff there's a lot of alcohol involved which means that people's memories of the event are very hazy um and uh, and and that might be by intention or could be just you know a, a chemical reaction um so yeah it, it's got all of the elements and i do think it's a decent read i you know it was um i, I certainly wouldn't say i you know well that was a waste of time I, I did i did enjoy it excellent right um what i'm going to suggest we do now is we're going to cut to one of our regular segments and then we're going to come back to the the hunting party for a spoilers section. So um, we haven't this week got our segment of what has Granny read. 
because I've not actually checked in with what okay. Granny's wrote. I know she's been reading prolifically, uh, and there is one book that's going to mention on what's caught my eye that actually Granny has read this week. All right. <laughs> um, but what has caught your eye this week then, Wendy? Um, it's not so much a book, but it's a, um, it's an author. So um, suddenly, wherever I look, I'm seeing Colleen Hoover. Um, and she seems to be quite prolific in terms of what she's, what she's produced. Um, and she's not come across my, um, my radar before. So um, I really, you know, I've not read any of her stuff. Um, but I've come to the conclusion I absolutely have to because everybody else on the planet has. So um, she's an American author. Um, she's a romance writer, adult, uh, young adult fiction. So perhaps that's why she's not come across my radar before because they're not natural. Um, they're not natural genres for me. Um, but it seems like, and I don't know whether this is hype or whether this is just the way the cards have fallen. But she seems to be everywhere where I look at the moment. Um, and so at some point, and as I say, she's quite prolific, we probably need to have a look at something that she's done. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's a name you can't, I, you can't miss. Can yeah. you? Um, she's, she's definitely been on my radar because, and I've not looked at her books and gone, that looks like a me book. But equally, I do think maybe we ought to read something by her because... And maybe it's just the way marketing currently is in bookshops, but I am seeing her everywhere. Well, um, what I'm intrigued by is her cover designs. So you wouldn't look at her cover designs and you wouldn't say this is a romance novel or this is young adult fiction. Um, so it, it, I don't know what her marketing bit is like, but but... Um, she's definitely she's definitely doing things differently, um, and so from that reason, I think it would be really good to to have a look at some of her stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was trying, to, I was just trying to find the one that I saw the other day. Um, I can't find it now. Right, I my eye was caught um, by a book for you. All right. I yeah, because I haven't got enough in my to-be-read pile, have well, I? I know, but I, I think this one, based on what you said last week, it's called The Ultimate Air Fryer Cookbook. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> um, and it's it's a recipe book, um, but from Claire Andrews. Um. And yeah, it looks it looks really the pictures on the cover. I mean, I'm not really delved into it so, but it looks you know it looks good food. Oh, and good. it's not also also whenever I think air fryer, Wendy. Whenever I've had anything that anyone's cooked in an air fryer, it's quite dry stuff. Mm. Whereas some of these look a bit casserole. All right, okay. I'm thinking, oh, how do you make something that's a bit like a stew or a casserole in an air fryer? Well, I've just had a set of accessories, and I have, with my accessories, I've been given a little stew can that goes in. So that's how you can. Um, and it is because because essentially what it's doing is it's mimicking roasting. 
Um, and of course, you can casserole in an oven. So they've yeah. come up with this little this little casserole pan that you you can put into your air fryer. So, oh, that's one I'm going to have to check out. And who's the uh, who's the uh, right? Lovely. Now, equally, um, Laura Purcell, who we've read on the show before, yeah. Uh, she's got a new book out called The Whispering News. Uh, it looks very Emily. Um, it's, it says Obsession, Superstition, Tragedy. It's a very Emily cover. Um, but also, the other thing that's really... Two other books I want to mention that really caught my eye this week is uh, one by Carrie Ann Lloyd. Now, Carrie Ann Lloyd is an, a comedian. Yeah. And I find her absolutely hilarious as a stand-up. But also, this is called You Are... This is completely not what I expected from her. It's called You Are Not Alone. And it's uh, described as a moving, powerful and funny. Um, the comedian and host of the Griefcast podcast discusses loss and society's changing attitudes to death. Oh, so she, she she hosts a podcast called The Griefcast, um, and it's all about dealing with loss and dealing with grief. Um, it wasn't something that I was aware that she did at all, but here we go. And I just think it could looked really interesting, and it's something that certainly as Brits, we're not very good at it. It's not what we talk about, is it? it? It's one of those things that you're never quite sure about how you broach the, the subject and it depends on who you're dealing with and what your circumstances are. It's one of those really difficult things, isn't it? And we struggle as a society with it. Definitely we do. Um, now, for the maybe out there for the, the people we don't normally put a book out there for... Um, are you familiar with the TV series Shit's Creek? Yes. So the screenwriter of Shit's Creek, Monica Heise, or one of the screenwriters, she has um, written a book called Really Good, actually. Um, and it's a side-splitting, bittersweet story of a young divorcee stepping back out into the world. And I thought, oh, that, that could be quite appealing to a lot of our listeners. Yeah. And obviously it comes with great praise. Now, do you remember we read The Trial by Janice Hallett? Yes. And now Janice Hallett... The Appeal. Yeah, The Appeal, not The Trial, The Appeal. And it's the one where it's all these... You read the correspondence, don't you? Yeah. And she's read the emails and the texts. And... and there was a second one she wrote. Um, can't think of the name of it now, but it's got a book, a fish on the cover. The Twyford. Yeah, the Twyford Code. Code, that's it. Well, she's got a third one out. It's called the Alperton, the mysterious case of the Alperton Angels. Oh, now I saw that. That came across my uh, my radar this week as well. Uh, it's a twist-laden, utterly addictive mystery about a sinister cult told through found documents. See, I quite like the idea of that. Um, I think she's done the. Um, I think she's done the email text thing 
um, to death now. Um, but I do like the idea of found documents, yeah. The email text, found documents, these things, these are, it's obviously her style. Yeah. This is her USP. She writes in a very in a very unique way. No one else it no one else. Yeah, that no, I'd agree with that, yeah. He's doing this. And I quite like that style. Um, but yeah, so that's another one that's come out. But now this is kind of like where I'm shoehorning what has Granny read with what's caught my eye into one feature. Um Jonas Ragnarsson. Oh yes. Now I've I've um I've introduced us to foreign authors in the past. We've, we've, we've gone to Japan and Korea and over that world, part of the world. Well, now I'm suggesting we go to Iceland, Wendy. All right. Because Jonas Ragnarsson wrote a book called Snowblind. Has this come across your radar at all? No. It's kind of very similar to what we've just read in some ways, but not. Snowblind is set in above the Arctic Circle. Yeah. In a town that's cut off by the weather. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds vaguely familiar. And but this guy is he's he's the new police detective in the area. Mm. And all of a sudden they're cut off for the winter and there's a killer. And he's got to deal with this. Mm. So yes, it does have lots of parallels to what we've just read in some ways, but I think the fact that it's from a different nationality of author um, could be quite interesting. It's really when I read the back cover and Grand's read it, and I actually bought it as a present for uh, a friend at Christmas, and I think to myself, this is this is this is looking really good. Mm. So that friend has now read it. Um, and so Christmas present and has lent it to me to read. Um, Gran read it overnight. <laughs> literally, literally um, my dad dropped it off and said, uh, oh, I brought this round for you to read from Kate. Oh, brilliant, thanks. Does your gran not sleep at all then? Is she an insomnia? No, no, she does sleep. She sleeps, yeah, she sleeps healthily. But no, she, um, whilst my dad and myself went out for a dog walk, she started reading it whilst we were out. And by the middle of the next day, she'd finished it. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's a gripper then? Well, it, it's apparently, it's a, it's a really good read. So that, that's one that's definitely caught my eye. And I think... Um, if you like a good thriller, it's it's one out there. It's going to be interesting. That is then if we if we pick that as one of our books because um, I have to say that I'm not a fan of the sort of Norwegian, Icelandic, um, Scandinavian sort of um, authors because they they're a bit slow for me. So they're um you know they're a bit pedantic and a bit they drag their feet and um yeah it's um well certainly if grand's reading of it is anything to go by this one does not drag no it, well it can't do can it if she's read if she's read it that quickly so yeah it might be it might be worthwhile having a look at that now actually i have got one other 
thing that's caught my eye this week. And it came through a uh, email from a very well-known bookseller. <laughs> uh, it's their thriller of the month, and it's called Notes on an Execution. All right. By Danya Kukafka. I think I'm pronouncing the surname correctly. Okay. Um, and it's billed as a serial killer thriller like no other. Um, and it upturns the serial killer narrative on its head, apparently. Right. So that one, to me, just sounds really interesting because it's, you know, they're big claims about a book. Yeah, I mean, I'm just having a look at the uh, the the uh, cover notes, um, and it does look quite um, it does look quite different, different, doesn't it? Because this is this is written from the not the serial killer's perspective, but from the survivor's perspective. I love the um, I love the fox on the front cover. Mm. Mm. Um, so yes, there's, there we go. That, they're things that have caught our eyes this week, right? If you do not wish to know the concluding parts of the hunting party, this is your spoiler alerts warning. Stop listening to the show now. We're only going to be having eight more minutes, but stop listening now. So, Wendy, the hunting party. Yes. Um, I think I mean, we've mentioned uh, the murder victim. We've met. Yes. Well, we haven't actually said who it is yet, but Miranda's death. Yes. Um, we both guessed it. We did. Um, and I think it was inevitable. The way it was written, you could tell it was going to be Miranda that ended up dead. Yeah, yeah. There were plenty of people who need who had reason. <laughs> yes, nearly uh, everybody in the uh, in the party. I think, yeah. It was. It was. It. I. I. At one point, it could almost have been the same conclusion as uh, Murder on the Orient Express. It could have all had a hand in it at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, tell me your thoughts on the ending. Um. I was. I was pleased with the ending. Um. Because. Um. Although it was very easy to predict the victim. It was less clear who the perpetrator was, so it was less clear who the murderer was, um, and and sort of, you know, all signs posted towards um, Julian, uh, her other half, because of um, because of things that had happened, because of the affair he'd been having, um, uh, and because of how yeah. she was threatening him, and you know, to get her revenge, what she was going to do to him. Um, it could have been Mark because of the attraction that they uh, that that Mark had always had for her, and um, and the way in which that panned out during this um, during this holiday break as well. Um, but it ended up being Emma, and for me, um, I, that didn't surprise me, but it did please me because um, I didn't like Emma from the word go. And I didn't like her because um, Emma was definitely the dark side of OCD. 
So when there's a bit in the uh, right at the beginning of the book where this is Emma's idea, she's booked it, she's she's arranged it all. She's gonna cook this fantastic um, feast mm. on New Year's Eve where they're all gonna celebrate. Um, I know exactly. And, and she's got the menu sorted, and she's ordered huge quantities of stuff, and they're very expensive. And the thing that she gets miffed about is that Heather has organised all the food to be there. And when she's checking it, my God, she's bought ordinary vine tomatoes. She has not baby. They're, they're not, not cherry tomatoes. tomatoes. They're ordinary vine tomatoes. Well, I suppose. And you just think to yourself, and and just actually, I thought that that was really clever because just in that bit, just in that bit, you you get a glimpse of a psychopath, don't you? Yeah. Who is going to go mad over something because they've got the wrong size of tomato? I mean, really. So um, so for me, I found that quite pleasing um, because it sort of fitted very well. And um, and the, the means, the, the, the reason uh, of why, because um, it's, it's really clear that Emma is obsessed with her. Yeah, um, Emma wants to be her. Absolutely. And so when that... Um, one of the things that comes out of it is one of Miranda's secrets is that she has uh, she's had a stalker and she's had a stalker for years really and um uh, until suddenly one day that stops the, the the stalkerism stops and one of the things about Miranda is she's this life and soul of the party completely fearless doesn't isn't bothered by anything but actually you do get the sense that this stalker has really rattled her yeah. Because of the fact that this person is somebody close to her, she's you know she's had things stolen, um, she's had notes from this stalker. It, it would give out quite private details about her, so she know it's she knows it's somebody in a close circle. But of course, you automatically assume that if it's a stalker, um, and she's a woman, it's a man. And so I, I, this was the best bit for me in the book. I just love this. I thought it was really cleverly written. Um, and the way it unfolds and, and how the climax builds towards the, the actual killing of, of Miranda, I thought was absolutely great. And I really did enjoy that bit. See, I, I got it pegged that one of, the, one of them was the stalker. Mm. And for a while, I was convinced it was Mark. Yes, I, I thought it was as well. And then I realised that Mark wasn't clever enough to pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, who is it? It's got to be one of this party. It's got to be one of this party. has got to be the stalker. Yeah. And actually, the way that Emma came into the relationship and into the friendship circle is the obvious way, the obvious thing to do as the stalker. Yeah, yeah. I've got okay. Well, how do I get closer? I become part of the circle. Mm. But yeah, that cherry tomatoes bit, I completely straight away. I, I clocked that. I went, that's a significant detail. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you're including into this person's character profile the fact that they're really miffed about cherry tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought it was. I thought it was really, really well done. And and when she describes how she discovers that Emma is the stalker is actually quite, it's quite chilling in terms of the, the way that's done. Um, and so it was, I just, I really did enjoy that bit. I thought it was, it was unpredictable. 
um, in terms of the way she'd written it and the way it panned out. Um, but I think it, it absolutely rescued it from the little niggles that I'd had about the story earlier on. Uh, it absolutely rescued it for me, and I thought it was very good. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode of Shelf Indulgence. Uh, we will be back next week, um, and until then, we wish you the very best of good reading. Yeah, happy reading.